Hello, Stephen. Hello, Erica. We have watched episodes three and four of The Sea Devils. Is that right? We sure did. I, so soon I forget. I know. I don't remember the last... Uh, we watched one and two a while ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while. It's called Lazy Doctor uh, Who for a reason. I know. I'm just trying to think of when it was. Was it on another holiday weekend? Was it, it wasn't Thanksgiving. We didn't record on Thanksgiving, Canadian Thanksgiving. Why do you care? I don't know. I just, <laughs> just kind of do. Because what I'll probably say this week will be something that I've probably said the first two episodes. If listeners don't like that, they will have stopped listening to this podcast a long time ago. That's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yes, we did watch two episodes in one go. I like it when we watch two episodes in one go. It mm-hmm. just means that we have to remember things that happen in both episodes. But Yeah, it is a little harder to remember like, you know, nearly an hour ago than mm-hmm. it is for just 25 minutes ago. But it is fun because really after every every first episode that we watch, mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen turns to me and says, you want to watch another one? Yeah. Every time. Every time. Literally every time. I, I never try to cram three in because yeah. it just feels like we're just getting over with. We're not savoring the experience, you know. Um, what, I, what I notice now more than anything as we watch these is the uh, production schedule of Doctor Who <laughs> and how it actually influenced the writing. This is something I probably said on this podcast and probably Radio Free Scarrow too in that, you know, the way Doctor Who is being made in these days, I'm going to start off the podcast with the boring production stuff before <laughs> getting the other stuff, is how they would make it in uh, two episodes every fortnight. They used to make one episode a week, of course, in the 60s. They ch- Barry Letts changed it so uh, they basically let the sets stay up overnight and record two episodes in two days. That's basically kind of how they did it. Like rehearsals all the way up to those and then two days. So they would often structure the episodes to have like certain sets only be used as best as possible in each block. The prison sets, as you can see, have been used for four episodes, like because mm-hmm. the the master's prison set and Trenchard's office and stuff. In the first two episodes, we had the sets for the sea base. Oh yeah, those are replaced now mm-hmm. for three and four, the next production block with the uh, submarine sets and stuff, because you get an impression of like how many sets you can fit in mm-hmm. the studio and BBC Television Center, and so writers would be wary of this when they're writing and being you know structuring out what what happened where and so i often find that the pertwee six parters are much different compared to other eras six parters because of that because i find they're more structured in two episode chunks as opposed to a long thing spread out over six episodes like a trout one or something like that this is what i notice or like a four and two like the uh, tom baker six parters yeah because robert holmes despised six parters and so it very consciously structured them some somewhat uh blatantly in the case of like seeds of doom yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. yep interesting speaking of the sets uh i just want to say before i forget that i really like the wallpaper in trenchard's office it's green it's got like a nice design on it i would like that wallpaper you also liked the pin and the insignia. I, I I need to check Etsy and see if somebody has made the like the lapel pin with the black and white like S on it because that I I collect well not exactly collect but I have a lot of enamel pins that yeah. I stick on my purse mostly. <laughs> when you leave the house once a month in these days of a pandemic, there's a global pandemic by the way going on. Listeners of the future, we're in that time of the, of the uh, Earth history. Yep. Uh, but they still make me happy, even if I'm not taking yeah, them outside. I know they do. Yeah. Yep. So I would, I would really like that particular one, the the sort of black and white S. I I bet you. I'm just thinking right now. I bet you Clayton Hickman's uh, Red Bubble Shop. I bet he deals in utter minutia when it comes to Doctor Who stuff. Right. I just don't know. Like often, 
I don't know if Redbubble has enamel pins because enamel, the yeah. creation of an enamel pin is a much more intricate, uh, you know, technical thing than just screen printing something on a, a tote bag or a t-shirt or something. So while, you know, there, there might very well be a tote bag with that ass on it or something. No, I want the pin. Like I want the actual lapel pin. That's a very good point. You made, I made a good, good point about production, about TV. You made a good mm-hmm. point about production of enamel pins. Yep. Here we are. That's, this is, we each have our strengths. Mm-hmm. And, and enamel pins is yours. I trust you and your opinion of enamel pins because that, that's going to be like, I don't even know how they make them. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that may not have been enamel. It might have just no. been all metal with some paint on it. Don't know. I kind of look, look like an enamel pin, but that's, okay. I don't know. But it was like on the on the hood of the, the cars, mm-hmm. like on the guards, lapels, everywhere. Yep. Also, uh, the sign next to the door where it said like six T. Uh, 6T probably. I couldn't, it, the T was too small. But to the left of it was the S insignia. So it's, it's all over the place. Goodness. Mm-hmm. I wonder who it is. I pro- it was probably the set designer who designed that. Mm-hmm. Well, listeners, we're going to have a look after this episode's done. Mm-hmm. This episode of Lazy Doctor Who to see if we can find mm-hmm. something. But that doesn't, like, you can still tweet at us if you also find something yes. because you might find something better than what we find. So if you, ha- if you have an Etsy store and you have those pins... <laughs> Get in touch. I want one. Yeah. And that goes for like any type of enamel pin featured mm-hmm. in Doctor Who, classic series or modern. Mm-hmm. Enamel pins. That's us. Yep. Well, that's me. That, 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 that is you. Yeah, that's true. Uh, what do you think of these uh, these two episodes of Doctor Who? I, I still like them. Uh, I love watching. This is just one of my favorite Joe stories because mm-hmm. she's just like, this is peak Joe. Uh, running around doing her thing, trying to hide. I, I I said it was. It's a little bit of a shame that like that that pantsuit is amazing, but it's also not great for hiding. The only the only time like when she's sneaking around, uh, tr- before she rescues the doctor, the only time that she is in a decent position to hide is when she gets to that big uh, white wooden door and she's trying to. <laughs> push it open like that's the only place i'm thinking in my mind okay if there are guards roaming the grounds from far away if she just froze right there uh you know maybe facing the door they might not see her because she'd blend right in but as soon as she leaves that door and goes in front of the bricks of the castle like boom she's shining but uh she's good enough at being sneaky that she manages to uh, to get around and then she gets to the window where the doctor can see her and they have one of my favorite sequences between joe and the doctor of all time yeah where she mimes yep. uh, at the doctor to sort of say you know you and the guard outside with one of the mustache do your little chat for five minutes and mm-hmm. like and it's all clear and they're like they're such a team they're like i i, call, I compared them to like you know mr Steele and uh emma peel on the avengers yep. they were just like that yeah and it's it's like a the clockwork. I mean, they they don't have to say anything out loud because that would nope. be bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they understand each other, and then Joe's able to make good on it. She finds a window. She sneaks in. She gets around. The doctor does his part. When five minutes are up, mm-hmm. Joe sneaks in, hides behind the door. It is like it's it's blocked. It's mm-hmm. choreographed very nicely. And then they don't really even talk to each other when she's in there because that door is very thin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's able to use her her lock picking skills, which are well established. Yep. And uh, and that set of uh, little tiny screwdrivers we have almost exactly that same set i remarked that i did not realize that those type of screwdrivers were have been around as long as they have been the design is still the same yep. we got some like a couple of years ago that are in our closet mm-hmm. and they're just like that 
I feel like I want to carry those around now, like next convention and be like, this is just, this is the, my only cosplay is these screwdrivers. Can you tell me what story this is from? Yeah. Not as a gatekeeping thing, no. just as a joke. And plus the, you know, the usual, um, uh, protective, uh, covering for the bottles we get in, um, yes. uh, um, duty free shop, which reminds us of the sea devils yep. and their blue mm-hmm. mesh, which is what they wear. Yep. Good stuff. So yeah, so she she unhooks him, and you know just the the idea like she just gets down on the ground on all fours, so and the doctor headbutts the yep. guard and he falls over. That's it is just delightful. That 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 whole sequence is just great from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know um, counterbalanced by one of your least favorite third doctor sequences. I I honestly think possibly the one sequence that I think had colored your opinion of him up until we started watching the episodes mm-hmm. where the one in episode four where he steals all the sandwiches as a joke basically it's written in as a joke but really it just looks very cruel to joe mm-hmm. yeah. yeah like i don't understand the point of that joke like what you know what do you think this is joe a picnic and then he takes it and then he eats some of the sandwiches and then he offers one to captain hart and yeah. he offers one and they like and i get that uh oh, I, I don't remember the name of the woman who is at the naval base aka the other woman in this story um so so i guess i mean she's supposed to be in on the joke because the doctor offers her a sandwich and she says thank you and she takes it which would be a real jerk move yeah uh if she wasn't also joking but it just it doesn't make any sense to me it doesn't like why would you be playing a joke on joe at this point this is you know really important things are happening and Joe just went through a hell of a lot to get the doctor out. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it is tone deaf. I don't, I don't like it at all. It's misguided humor. Uh, kudos to John Pertwee though for choking down like a plate of sandwiches while delivering dialogue. That was impressive. I, I wondered if like they had tried it ahead of time and had like bigger, <laughs> bigger sandwiches because like the the sandwich that. Uh, the, is in the master's room yeah. is I believe cut in half and the doctor like picks it up and takes a bite of it whereas this is a sandwich that's cut into quarters so he can basically take one piece and just sort of shove it in his mouth and still deliver dialogue around it and I'm just picturing the evolution of this scene as they're practic- practicing it uh, you know starting with the sandwich cut in half and the doctor realizing no that's not going to work I can't I can't eat all that much I wonder is that is the the quartering of a sandwich is that a traditional form of sandwich cutting in the UK in the 1970s or 80s or maybe it had to be in quarters so that he could offer he could eat some and then also offer it to two people who are not Joe they are ve- that well I think they are very much like appetizer type sandwiches mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know okay. what um, what the how that to go like do people serve sandwiches like that at like dinner parties and stuff. I don't know it looked like were the crusts cut off maybe it looked like I don't know I think they were actually the mm-hmm. crusts were cut off. Very, very. Fun. I really want a sandwich now. I know. Every time I think of that scene, <laughs> I think that I, I kind of miss sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Not that I've been like, you know, I'm not medically allowed to eat them or anything like that. But. Maybe we should order pressed for supper. That's not a bad idea. I did buy you a loaf of uh, gluten-free bread as well. But they do have <laughs> this episode of Lazy Doctor Who is brought to you by Pret's Sandwich Company. Uh, they do have two new vegan sandwiches as mm-hmm. boldly announced in their newsletter, yet not featuring them yet on their menu. I might like want to try one. If you live outside of Edmonton, I'm sorry. This is no no use to you. But if you're in Edmonton, 
breast sandwiches are very good. They are very good. They used to be one along Jasper Avenue <laughs> as we just go right into Edmonton here. And they closed it down a while ago, a year or so ago, I think because they're completely redoing uh, the main drag here in Edmonton. And it was on that main drag. But it was like three blocks away. We would go and walk to get sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And now we don't have that anymore. <sighs> it's so sad. I mean, it's not like we're going to a lot of restaurants now, but... Yeah. But we would go and pick one up and take them home, and that's that is you know what in in the time of a global di- pandemic, yeah. you really look for the little joys in life, mm-hmm. and not having a, a a press sandwich shop three blocks away makes me as sad as Joe when the doctor steals her sandwiches. I was going to say that Pressed basically said, "Here's a plate of sandwiches. We're going to eat them all up elsewhere." Oh, sorry, Joe. Mm-hmm. The one near no, there's no more sandwiches left for you, and there isn't. Also, there's no Starbucks a couple blocks that way anymore either. Like one of the busiest streets in Edmonton, let's close all the coffee shops and sandwich shops. Let me tie that possibly into Doctor Who as well. Good luck. What the heck is Kai? K Y E. What is Kai? So, so what's her I, her name anyway? I can't that uh, the the the, um, the the her brings it into Alex Warner, the actor who's playing the radio operator. He plays a radio operator later on in Revenge of the Cybermen, also directed by Michael Bryant. Uh, and yeah, she says here I've I've brought you your Kai. K Y E. I mean, there was at least one place where the captions were wrong uh, oh. later in the in the uh, in that episode. Right. Yeah, like they they said, uh, Captain Hart or somebody says, "I'm going to send a man down with you to the doctor," mm-hmm. and it says the captions say, "I'm going to send a man armed with you." That's not what he said. Interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm like ninety eight percent sure that I was right and the captions were wrong. Uh, but anyway, so so it's possible that Kai K Y E was is not the right spelling of that word but it sure is what it sounded like she said maybe that's just a a british slang for something maybe it's a specific kind of drink but this is this is where we need people to tweet at us and tell us because we're probably going to forget it before we're done recording well we have this and the etsy thing to look into we should we need a list um maybe it's a naval thing maybe it's like tea but because they're naval based people they call it by their own words because you know it's secret or maybe it's something specific like bovril or something like that isn't that like meat powder or something? What is? Yeah, yeah basically. Oh, gross! Don't that don't. Sounds good to me. I, like I, I, I have sandwiches. I'm not. I eat. I have chicken broth or beef broth all the time. Like it's tasty. That's true. Mm-hmm. I have little cubes of vegetable broth that I haven't used yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donald Sumter makes another appearance in Doctor Who as the uh, the submarine captain. He was previously seen in the Wheel in Space. He will, of course, later be seen in many different things, including Rassilon in Hellbent in 2015. Mm-hmm. I mostly know him from Game of Thrones. Maester, what's his name in Game of Thrones? I don't remember the names of any of the maesters, but he's one of them. Mm. He's also in Chernobyl. It's good in Chernobyl, oh. too. Yeah, which is a <laughs> delightful watch. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a good, good very good s- series mm-hmm. that I want to watch with you because mm-hmm. you're intrigued by it, but I also kind of want to, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really good and uh-huh. really harrowing. Yeah, I don't know if I'm quite ready for it yet. I'm gonna watch it on my own. He's in it. He's very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah, he's here as a, playing the submarine captain, and uh, there's just submarine stuff. There's submarine dialogue going on. I feel like he's almost too stylish for that role. Like he just seems almost like he's just got this this flair that like he's he, it's like he's almost in another in another in another show or something and then not in a bad way like he's but really? he, yeah he just I, uh-huh. I, I like the way he just like he's i don't know like 
kind of large and in charge, but yeah. in a laid back ish sort of way and is just very competent and kind of good looking. Yeah. And uh and yeah, but just more so I don't know, it just feels like those scenes and I think his number one kind of matches him in terms of the way that they're playing the scenes. But it just it feels really different from, you know, stuffy old men sitting in a, a castle. Like mm-hmm. it's like we have suddenly cut to a different show where it's all action and spies and zing zang. Zing zang. Who you have very adequately described and who I will compare to that submarine captain is one Commander William T. Riker of Star Trek The Next Generation. He's very much that kind of, mm-hmm. I bet you when Donald Sumter's character walks into a room and there's a chair there, he <laughs> puts his leg over it to sit down. I bet you he's that kind of seaboat captain. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I can totally. Well, and I, mean, I would follow that man to the ends of the earth, damn it. <laughs> I'd nope. follow him to the bottom of the ocean, no questions asked. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's true. Very good. Uh, Colonel Trenchard uh, finally sort of realizes, or perhaps at the far too late, that the uh, that he has been betrayed. I quite, a, I actually quite like quite like that uh, that turn. You didn't, you didn't like that. Well, I I found it unsatisfying. Okay. Okay. So he he recognizes that the master lied to him, mm-hmm. and I feel like I feel like the master has a really good point. Like, if I would have told you mm-hmm. that there were basically sea monsters mm-hmm. would you have believed me of course the answer is no and he wouldn't have been able to do anything now obviously i'm not on the master's side because he's trying to eradicate humanity from the face of the earth but if we're to look at it from the perspective of captain trenchard who has been colonel colonel thank you uh who has been you know sold a pack of lies fine mm-hmm. but he believes them so he believes that there's bad stuff that's going to happen caused by saboteurs okay in the end he finds out it wasn't well, it was saboteurs, but they're saboteurs who happen to be sea monster, non, non-human creatures, basically. Uh-huh. Why? I, I just don't understand why that d- triggers. It just doesn't seem like a, 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 it doesn't seem like it makes sense to me that 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 turn that that is what turns him against the master. Like, yeah, I, I can understand, you know, having your mind blown worldview completely changed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the master like explains it very well. I feel like that's the best job that the master does of lying to colonel trenchard all this time and and so it just didn't make sense to me that that he would suddenly feel like that betrayed because it seems like all the other stuff that the master has said has been true it's just that the culprit is somebody that you absolutely wouldn't have believed in so why are we not on the same page anymore and the part that i really found unsatisfying Mm -hmm. is the fact that I, st- I still don't think that he actually recognizes how wrong he was. I don't, I don't, I mean, there's nothing on the screen or in the script to tell us that he, or to show us that, that the master is, that there's any way that he would know that the master was calling them to him mm. because, you know, we're being invaded by the bad guys why wouldn't you be invaded invaded by the bad guys like there's just there's no there's no reason on screen for me to think that colonel trenchard recognizes that the master is calling them except for the fact that the master unplugs this machine right. really really fast like okay maybe that's a little bit suspicious but i, I just i i wanted him i wanted a scene that, where there's more of a reckoning where he because he's been such a blowhard this whole time mm-hmm. i wanted something where it's not like he just gets you know nobly killed in the line of duty uh, I, I want him to recognize how wrong he's been and how 
how much of a fool he was to trust this person that he was told by many people, I'm sure, not to trust. I just I am so annoyed by by him basically getting to kind of die a hero and taking out a few sea devils uh, with him. I, I don't like it. I don't like it. You think he should have died a villain? No, I think he should have had a, uh, a come to Jesus moment, ah. basically to recognize this, I was wrong this what? whole time. And maybe they're trying to, I mean, maybe, I guess you could read it that way. But if you're reading it that way, there's a lot of headcanon involved. I wanted something more uh, more blatant. I don't know. I, th- I, th- I quite enjoyed the subtlety of it. I, I like the way he sort of like unlocks his gun and sort of looks at the gun. You know, as a way like I haven't fired this in forty years, and that sort of thing, and and you know, I also think it's intriguing how you know you just sort of get the impression that the master has hypnotized him, uh, but I think in a way, as as he said, you know, the doctor asked um, Captain Hart, "What do you think Trenchard's greatest quality was?" And it takes him a while to think of one, mm-hmm. uh, and he says, "Is patriotism," um, and I think. The master, yeah, totally just sort of said, by the way, this is for the good of the national security. For And that's that's how he gets suckered into it. He doesn't get hypnotized at all. He gets suckered into it, which is even more tragic. Right. And and I, I feel like I that we sort of started to figure that out back in like episode two, that he was not hypnotized, that the no. master had just lied to him and, you know, duped him by, yeah, using using the fact that he was such a patriotic dude. And whew, right now, people being duped using their patriotism, that uh, hits a little close to home. I did see the connection to that in this tv show but from 1972 oof yeah uh but yeah so he has been do which is why i want something so you so you think he's looking at that gun he's he's going out to defend yeah. his to try to defend the castle do you think that at that point he knows that the master is in league with the sea devils i think so because he's i think he's very suspicious when like he realizes it's a signal uh, and the master is going to is calling them, and he sort of like walks. Okay, I'll leave you to it. Closes the door, immediately gets on the phone, tries to phone people. Yeah. You know, like he's like, okay, something is really up. You know, he's not. He doesn't turn to camera and say, "The master's lied to me." Damn it! <laughs> he doesn't do that. It's a nice. That's why I kind of like how it was, it was kind of subtle that way, where he realizes he's going to take up arms for himself now. You know, doesn't have the master to to back him. I guess I still just would have liked to. I don't know. I guess I wanted more comeuppance and not. Uh, yeah, like. Well, he, he was killed. He was killed. He did take a sea devil out with mm-hmm. his very specific. Uh, uh, is that a recognized thing where you sort of cross your arms and rest mm-hmm. your pistol on your? It, to me, it seems like a very old school British thing. Yeah. I, maybe I've just not seen it in older movies. That's true. Mm-hmm. Probably you probably fired a gun that way in the Boer War. Sure, if you say so. 1890s mm-hmm. South Africa yeah anything else about this uh, these two episodes it's quite enjoy sea devils um there was a horse there's some horses that's true there's a the minefield sequence the famous okay. uh, sea devils coming out of the water which is apparently very famous for a certain mm-hmm. generation of Doctor Who fans um very famous use of the sonic screwdriver setting off mines yep but yeah that's uh that's pretty cool mm-hmm you know scares and he doesn't it doesn't hurt him just scares the uh scares the sea devil back into the water like a a cat with a vacuum cleaner (laughs) just like that yeah i also thought a lot happened in episode four because i forgot that uh the cliffhanger too i know the cliffhanger at some point was going to be the diving bell is empty 
supposedly uh it's a very ambiguous way like the way the captain Hart sort of like looks at the comes out of the diving bell and just sort of looks at joe as if to say that he is splattered all inside that yep. diving mm-hmm. bell go and look for yourself mm-hmm. and we don't actually find out what the deal is at the cliffhanger but that happened like super quick i says oh do you have a diving bell sure bang cut to the next scene they're riding out to the go hop on the, mm-hmm. the ship to go down in the sea i thought it was, it was pretty quick well kind of okay. but the the fact that we see them Riding the boat to the bigger boat That's and then true. watch them climbing That's up the true. bigger boat onto the bigger boat. Like, yeah, it. we we skip some action, but we watch other action, which <laughs> also it, true. is understandable because, you know, they actually did have the Navy involved. So let's let's I want to see this giant winch turning and turning and turning <laughs> like that's important stuff. How does this work? Kids out there want to be recruited by the Navy and they need to see exactly how everything of this operates. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yep. So I was, I didn't, I didn't have a problem with it. It no. just was like, also the way that the camera of course is like weaving back and forth. I was starting to get like, <laughs> like I need to close my eyes a little bit yeah. because this is, this is going to cause motion sickness if it takes any longer for this little boat to get to the big boat. Yeah. Steady cams were a couple years away and certainly a couple years away from Doctor Who being used. That would have been handy though. That steady cam would have been handy on the boat there for some of those shots. Although it was, it was effective. Like to have it be moving <laughs> and unintentional, yeah. Yeah, but you know, it gives it definitely gives you the feel of like being at mm-hmm. sea and you know, kind of wobbly and stuff. But yeah, I the the cliffhanger at the end is kind of ridiculous because you see Joe kind of looking up. It's not like she's just looking around; mm-hmm. she's looking up at a specific point, and I'm just like, you know, is the doctor hanging from the top of the diving bell? Is yeah. he is he splattered against that wall? What what has happened? Yeah, I feel like perhaps it was a directorial misstep to just have a sort of a crash. I know Michael Bryant loves his crash zooms, but it sort of crash zooms in on Joe's face before we even get an idea of what's in the diving bell. And maybe the cliffhanger is not that the doctor is not in there anymore, but we don't know what's happening in the diving bell. And so that's the mystery of what she's seeing in there. Mm -hmm. I suppose we'll find out in episode five. I, I guess so. Yeah. And that there is how you wrap up a podcast. So to sum up, sandwiches, Mm -hmm. pins on Etsy, Mm -hmm. Kai, Mm -hmm. the drink. Good work. Those are the three things that we have to look up. And indeed, you listeners, don't think that you're, well, you don't have to send us sandwiches. We'll take care of those. But the other two things Mm -hmm. uh, we do appreciate links and insight into as we carry on in this podcast called Lazy Doctor Who on the Incomparable Network. (laughs) Goodbye. Goodbye.